Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. I have a feeling that uh, I am going to resonate with this person because I just found her website, Transforming transformingmindsets.com. And the language on there is my language. This is the, the things I say. It says here, life is a journey. I say that all the time. I really believe it's a journey and it doesn't end until you end. It just moves on forward. But in that journey, you want to be the best you can be, the happiest you can be. You want to transform your life. And it begins right here with this person. She is a licensed professional counselor. She's a supervisor, owner, and private practitioner at Transformation Begins Within. And she's Alice Ward. And it's so great to have you here, Alice. How are you doing? Listen, Steve, I am super excited to be here and to be talking to you and to all the listeners today. I am thrilled. There is so much for us to unpack, so much for us to learn in terms of really moving our life forward. But if somebody is stuck, and I hear that a lot, especially here, you know, at the beginning part of the year, people feel either stuck in relationships, stuck in jobs, things aren't going forward for them. What do you think the baseline of that is? Why, why are we stuck? It could be many reasons a person is stuck, and sometimes it's because we're stuck in our thinking, we're stuck in the familiar, we're stuck in being afraid of change and what that will look like, so we just kind of get used to what we know, and so we just okay with it, but we're really not okay with it. It's almost like being trapped, if you will. You have the key to let yourself out. You just don't know what that would look like once you get out, so I think a lot of people stay stuck up because they don't know what to do or they do know what to do they're just afraid to do it and so therefore that's what therapists can come in and someone to walk alongside you to kind of dig in a little bit deeper to being stuck as well as to, fi- to figure out is this your first time being stuck because sometimes you can gain some information and if the person has a history of it like what did you do the last time you were stuck so trying to gain an awareness of what that is. And sometimes people like, hey, this is my first time. I don't know what to do. And so we can just take it from there and see what we unpack. Do you find that when you talk with somebody and they tell their story and how many times do we, how many times do we talk with somebody and really tell our story? Like I'm talking from the beginning, the first memory you got and then take it on forward. Do you find that sometimes people have a little bit of an aha moment where they're like, Oh, wow. You know, I didn't realize that, you know, my dad used to say that, or my mom used to treat me that way. And maybe there's a connection to the way I am now. Yes. And I will say, Steve, with that, that is one way of getting unstuck is telling your story and being able to connect the dots because sometimes with the dots not being connected, it can feel like you're stuck in what's going on. But for sure, I believe it's healing in a person's story. And I often encourage persons, clients in particular, not to try to edit your story because that's Mm. normal. You see the missing pieces. We normally try to make ourselves be presented in the best light. But it's sometime in those dark spaces where those answers are that we need to dig in that we would rather not bring up. But that's a part of who you are, and that's what makes you beautiful, you know, is all of those pieces that connect to you. So for sure, I would say learning your story, knowing your history, and who you are and who you want to become is really important in moving forward and transforming from the inside out. Absolutely. You got to be honest with yourself, and you got to be honest with whoever you're working with. There's a, You've heard it all. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> There's no secrets here. 
Yeah, and and that yeah. that could be the key to an amazing future. But if you leave that one little piece out, you just why even bother? When you get somebody's story and you mm-hmm. talk with them, and let's say you're a few sessions in, how does the how does the reset begin? How do we? You know, I, I'm afraid to say this, but you know, when we reset our <laughs> mind, you know, people think it's mind control. No, no, it's it's correcting or realizing how you got to where you are now. But how does that transformation begin? What's the beginning stages of that? One of the first things I would say, which you just said earlier, which is one of my favorite quotes by William Shakespeare, "To thine own self be true." And what I find is, is one of the things is, is sometimes we have the hardest time trusting ourselves. And so one of the ways it starts is you beginning to trust you so you can begin to trust me because if you don't really trust the person, you're really not going to be able to give it your all to be able to tell everything that goes along with it. And as a therapist, that is one of my constructs, and I believe in earning my clients' trust because they don't know me, I don't know them, but I believe in, you know, gaining that, building that relationship so they do know that I am trustworthy. So I do think that that's important. You know, to know because so many times people have been hurt by things or people, and it's like, well, I don't. I think you're going to judge me. So that's one of the things that I try to to implement in building their relationship as they're telling their story is coming from a non-judgmental place. I have no right to judge someone's story, and I would appreciate if no one judged mine because, after all, this is you know my story. I'm living this life, so I would say that part of starts with just being welcoming you know, being open, just being a place where they know that, hey, I'm accepted here, and I can bring whatever that is, and my therapist is okay with whatever that is, and I tell them, I want you to show up as you are, not who you think I want you to be or who you show up for everyone else, because if not, right, we continue not being able to get healed, or if we heal, we heal that person, we don't heal ourselves. So I want you to heal the you that you were born, that you came here with, right? That's the one I want to talk to. I don't want to talk to... Though, I don't want to talk to your representatives. I want to talk to you. Is it fair to say that if you don't trust yourself, like really mm-hmm. able you know, to say, I'm cool. I got this. I, I, yeah. I trust my judgment that you're not going to trust others as much either. Yes, for sure. And, and, and trust one of those things is and some of it can be, you know, in your story as you, as you continue to unfold, where did that betrayal of trust come from? Because when we're born, as children, children, you trust, you believe whatever a person tells you, you believe that you take it, you run with it. But somewhere along the way, something happened for you to say, well, mm, no, I don't really know if I really mm. can, can trust that or I really believe that that's true. You know, right? So I think sometimes it's going back and looking at when the betrayal started. And it could be simple as, hey, my dad said he was going to give me a bike for Christmas. And dad never got me the bike. Or, you know, my auntie said that, you know, she was going to, you know, buy me a pair of shoes. Or, you know, my uncle said he was going to come to my basketball game. Like, people believe in you that you're going to do something. And so when you don't, a little piece of that trust begins to get chipped away. And sometimes we don't say anything about it. You know, it's like, oh, they have something else to do. Or, you know, we kind of justify it to, you know, make ourselves be able to deal with what just happened. But that is that can be the beginning of your trust beginning to dwindle, and you might not even know that that's really where it started. Wow. Uh, just what you're saying is so powerful. You know, even the dad saying he's going to get, you know, a kid, a bike, and then doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it might not have been, could have been a situation that the bike wasn't in stock or whatever it might be, but that 
child carries that with them. And how sad is it? How sad is it that it begins with that, Alice, it's a, it's a clean slate in that child. And yeah. now things happen. And sometimes mm-hmm. they have to happen. <laughs> you know, it's, it wasn't right. intentional. Um, and then that, that little person grows up and carries that with them. And then their life is forever changed. Uh, fortunately, somebody like you is there to help them work through that. But is it really most of the time the stuff that happened in your childhood that really kind of you take with you and, 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 and puts the blocks up and, and you struggle with that as you, as you become an adult? In my opinion, yes, because that's mostly where it, it stems back from some of those earliest memories. And you, it's not so much sometimes what the person did, it's the meaning that you assign to it. Like if dad didn't give me the bike, then I might say, hey, well, dad doesn't care about me. Dad doesn't love me. And so from that place, I begin to live my life from that place. It's not so much about him not getting the bike now. It's about what I have told myself about him not getting me the bike. And that's why I think it's really important as parents or adults in, you know, little people's lives. If you wanted to do it and you're not able to or something came up because, like, life be life and sometimes. But that's where the conversation comes in. And being able to say, hey, son, you know, dad really had great intentions on getting you the bike. However, I need to be able to take care of something that's a little bit more, you know, important, you know, right now. So if you give me an opportunity, dad is still going to honor what I said. And so that normally still, yeah, you can be disappointed because you didn't get it seen. But then by having that conversation, it lets you know what dad does remember what he said to me. And he came back and he had the conversation. And I know I'm not getting it now, but I will get it. So mm-hmm. I think that that's another piece of it. You know, too, but so many times as children, parents don't go back and have those conversations. And so you're just left with coming up with whatever you think the reason is it didn't happen. And that can be really dangerous. Oh, yeah. Well, again, that's why there's somebody like you. Because (laughs) seriously, Alice, let's face it. You know, some of us come from challenging families. We might not have Mm -hmm. connections with our parents. Maybe our parents are no longer here. And Mm -hmm. and that's for you to help us unpack and figure that all out. What do you hear when you talk with people nowadays? Because I'm hearing anxiety, the A word. All the time, more <laughs> more than ever. You getting that? Yes, for sure. That is a big piece of it, and it can manifest in different ways in people's lives. For sure, since you know, from the pandemic, from COVID, from being quarantined, it really has heightened so much in people's lives. Where people are used to working and able to manage it somewhat, but then when you have to start being still, and all those thoughts begin to start coming up, and it's like, oh my goodness, you start freaking out and trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen. You start coming up with all these possibilities of what if. And so I think people are beginning to see now in their relationships, which also connects to how we attach to people, because anxiousness is an attachment style. You can be a, you can attach to someone from an anxious place. And so we all have different attachment styles. So I would say that part of that, too, could be in your way of attaching to people or to what's going on. There could be also triggering that and our attachment styles normally come from childhood so that's so that's another piece of where we kind of circle back to you know to childhood or even in relationships but yes i think people are that people have anxiety one of the things that i think steve is because people are kind of floating and they don't have any anchors they don't have anything that grounds them and so that's one of the things that i normally help 
individual with grounding? Like, what are those things that ground you when you want to float off? You know, what are those mindfulness things that you can come back to the here and now? Because most people to deal with anxiety travel to the future, and people to deal with depression travel to the past, which means you're not present. And so one of my hopes and goals is, is to help them become present so they can realize, oh, I do have the ability to do something with this. Because when we experience anxiety, we're out of our window of tolerance and what we can handle. And then that could take us either up or down, depending on what we're dealing with. But I will for sure say, yes, a lot of people have increased it, you know, since um, COVID, for sure. The anxiety has went up a lot of depression. You know, it's went up a lot. And I think people now are realizing that that's what was going on. They just called it something else. And I think people are now giving it a name. And I'm so excited that they are because when you can identify something, now you can start getting help for it. I can't believe you you said the word present because that was my, <laughs> I'm telling you, we're on the same page. That was my, my wake-up call in my journey when I met mm-hmm. somebody and they said to me, how come you don't? you don't live now. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? You don't live <laughs> in the present. I'm like, I still don't know what you're saying. And then I thought about it. And then it came to me that I wasn't living in the now. And then it was only recently that I heard this, that mm-hmm. if you live in the past, you live in depression. If you mm-hmm. live, if you live in the future, you live in anxiety. But if you're living in the now, I mean, truly, right this moment, this moment Mm -hmm. is yours. Right now. Don't think of anything else now. Mm -hmm. You're all good. (laughs) You are, because that's all you can do something about, right? We can't do anything about what's already happened. We can't even do anything about what's going to happen. All I have is right now, and henceforth, I've heard it said, that's why it's called a present. It's called the present because it's a gift, right? This moment is a gift. The moment that you have, the breath that you're breathing right now is a gift. And I often think that we don't cherish our gifts enough to realize that this is the only thing I can do something about is my now. Like being in the now. And it's so beautiful when you can live in your now that you're not. I'm saying, yes, you can think about the next and you can think about the never. But when you think about the now, it's beauty in now. It's just so freeing you know, and now, because it just helps you, literally, I think that that's where you begin to become integrated with yourself. It's like, hey, I'm okay in this place right now. I don't know what's going to happen in the next couple seconds, but that's okay, because when I get there, that'll be my now, and we'll go from there. So I think that is really beautiful. And I think so many people don't give themselves the opportunity to live in now, because such a hustle and bustle of trying to do so much that you rob yourself of just the beauty of now, like you can pass by something like, hey, did you just see that beautiful tree? What tree? Because we're so busy moving that we don't stop and be able to appreciate and just breathe in the now and how precious it is, the now moments of life, because when they're gone, they're gone. Ring the bell for you. (laughs) I'm serious. Ring the ward bell, because what you just said, the present is your present. So mm-hmm. unwrap that thing and, <laughs> and enjoy it. And the other thing, too, is when you think of the future and you have that anxiety, it's, it's been proven with research 90, mm-hmm. 92% of the time that you worry about things. And this research comes around every couple of years. The, the, the things you worry about don't happen. They never take place. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your energy, <laughs> right? You are so, even my clients that I work with, 
and some of the things that they were worried about, let's say, a couple months ago, as we were working together, you know, currently, I was like, well, how was that going? Oh, you know what? That didn't even happen. And so thinking about it, you can't even get that back. Like, wearing is a way of robbing us, and we don't even realize we let the thief in to do whatever he or she wants to do right in our life. But you are so correct that all you have is now and being able to realize, hey, and, and the other part right there with that, Steve, is with our brains is that we become offline and we become, we can have what's called stress responses, the flight, flight, freeze, fun. That means you're in survival mode. And all you want to do is reduce the stressor, uh, get out the fear or the perceived threat. So you lose information that's in your upper brain in the now that can help you realize, oh, you can handle this. Oh, you just need to do this, this, and this. But we go offline and we're in that lower part of our brain, that emotional part of our brain, we lose access to all the information that's in our upper brain that can help us in the now. So part of that freaking out is I don't know what to do, but you do. You just got to give yourself the opportunity to travel up that ladder to the upper part of your brain that has that information to help you. All right, so how do we do that? <laughs> and so I want one to- of the ways of recognizing, so part of it is your thoughts. One of the things that I tell or teach my clients is before we change thoughts, I tell them to, to track their thoughts, kind of like a nutritionist would tell someone who's wanting to, you know, lose weight or have a more healthier lifestyle. Before I change anything that you're eating, I just want you to track what you're eating. Just log it every day, what you're eating. When you see that, you yourself are going to have, like, oh, my goodness, I do all of this, and so it's the same thing with a person's thoughts. I start there first. Before we change anything, I just want you to start tracking your thoughts. Write them down, whatever it may be. It's not a good or a bad or whatever. Just write your thoughts. And then we come back, and then we talk about, you know, what that is, because most of our thoughts, these are automatic. So we think about them without even thinking about them. And as a person, we have about 70,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot of thoughts. And so, granted, no one, I would say, probably does not know all 70,000 thoughts, and some of them are reoccurring. So that's kind of part of what we do is after the client gives me their thought diary, we start grouping them together and seeing if it's a pattern or a theme connected, and then we start rewiring. We start rerouting some of those thoughts because we have pathways in our brain, like on the freeway. And so we don't want to keep going in that direction because you've already identified that's not going to take you to where you want to get to. So some of it is learning to reroute it after we get the thoughts and we see what we're doing. We don't want to keep plugging those thoughts into the GPS. We want to start putting other thoughts there that's going to get you to where you're wanting to go. But that's the first way is tracking them and then starting to reframe them and then saying, is it another way I can think about this? And so that can take some time. That can be a lengthy process depending on the nature of how embedded that thought has been in your mind, it may take some time to uproot and replant a more healthier, a more reconstructive thought. How do you plant that? Let's, let's give up. A hypothetical situation. Let's okay. say that you're working with somebody and they identify that they have a fear of being alone, maybe being abandoned. Okay. Maybe that's because they had their parents got divorced when they were really little, or maybe mm-hmm. maybe their dad just you know up and left and they never it never got resolved. Whatever it might be. Now mm-hmm. you've got that. You've figured. You've connected. You've connected to their childhood. So now yeah. you have that that you know call it the limiting belief. 
Mm-hmm. How do you correct it in the, and I love your analogy with the, the GPS in their mind. How do mm-hmm. you correct that? How do you make those corrections so they're on the right path? Well, listen, Steve, you're talking to someone that that's my experience that you just described. So from, so for sure, I would say... Wait, 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 wait. hold on, Alice. What? That was really my parents. I was little, when I was a child, my parents got divorced. And so, yes, feeling alone, that was... And, and so that's a wow. negative, a core belief that I had about myself, that I was alone. Mm. You know, right? And so part of that, as I kind of continued to grow up, I had people around me, but it was... Still, I felt alone, but number one, I was disconnected from myself, and I didn't even realize that. Like, so in some ways, because other people didn't receive me, or so I thought, I didn't receive myself. And so one of the things that I started doing or working on is getting close to me and realizing, for me, I was never alone because I'm a believer, and so Christ has always been there. I didn't really know that. And even my mom, for sure, she was there, but she had her own things going on. I had my siblings you know, they were there, you know, too, but they still right, were young, you know, too. So one of the things that I can say that I realize that I would help clients with is identifying or challenging that truth. Is that really true? Are you really alone? So looking for evidence to support you alone. That's where I would start. And then part of it is what I told myself about being alone. I had to rest in. That was my parents' choice. That was not my choice. And some of that I took was my choice, and that was the reason I was alone, because I did something wrong. But part of it was correcting that. And it's like, no, you didn't do anything wrong. Your parents made a decision, and because of that decision, yes, you were affected, you know, by it. But, I, but as I continue to connect with people, that's another piece of it, you know, too. It will help you realize, you know, that as well. But, part, but it does take time, especially with abandonment, because abandonment is – and it's different forms of abandonment, right? We have physical, which you're describing, but you also have emotional abandonment. Parents are not being present because they have their own emotional stuff going on. And I think that probably impacted me the most, the emotional abandonment side of it. Because it was like, well, what do you do with these emotions? You're a little girl. You're having all this. Like, what do you do with it? And so you're just trying to navigate and figure it out. And so, so sometimes, even for clients, I just go back and tell them, it was okay what you were feeling. Validating their feelings are really important. Because most of the time when a person still alone, they think that they're invalid or what they, their experience was invalid. So, no, I, I let them know that it was okay what you experienced. And so what do you want to do about it? So I kind of go back to, like, hey, I really want to build a relationship with someone. Okay, well, then now we can talk about relationship building, right? So now we're transitioning from feeling alone to saying, okay, so what are some things that you think it would take to build a relationship? And so then we go, we go from that place. But I do try to instill, you know, hope in individuals that you're not really ever alone because as an adult, you always carry your little girl or little boy with you everywhere you go anyway. So you still have somebody with you even though you might not be aware that he or she is present. So you're really not ever alone even though sometimes it does seem like that because what you're going through. And I think for me, I said alone because I didn't feel like I had anybody to help me through what I was dealing with. Not alone as being around other people or having people in my life. I just didn't have anybody to share my story with when I was experiencing what I was experiencing. And I think that that's most of what people experience. The aloneness comes from not having someone to talk through it with as you're going through it. And that's what causes you to feel alone because, hey, I just I don't have nobody to help me through this. You're good. <laughs> you totally, <laughs> seriously, 
Alice, you get it. You truly get it. And I just gave a hypothetical situation and it resonated <laughs> with you. Uh, maybe yeah. we're psychic and I don't know, maybe we're just vibing each other, but um, I'd love to talk. We're, we're just about out of time, but I would love to talk next time about reconnecting with yourself because that is so important and most of us don't know how to do that. Don't even know where to start in doing that to yes. make that connection where you feel like, I got me. I'm good. Things are all right. Yes. You know? Yeah. So transformingmindsets.com is your website. And best way to reach out is uh, hit up the website and you have a free consultation, right? Yes, I do. I offer 15 minutes free phone consultation. Mm-hmm. You know what I love about you? I, and I, I, I love your passion, first of all. And next time we get a <laughs> chance to get together we 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 started going right for it i'd love to hear your story how you you came to want to help people and have that passion but there's one thing that i love about you many actually but the one that really stands out is you're going to hold people accountable you're not going to let somebody off the hook easily and i think that's a good thing i think we need that if we're going to move our lives forward and kind of you know change transform our lives yes you hit the bullseye because that's what that's what I get, but that's where it comes from. You being accountable to self yep. first, because that's where the transformation begins, being accountable to you. Absolutely. Alice, pleasure talking with you. It's great meeting you and uh, truly looking forward next time we get a chance to talk. Likewise. You enjoy yourself today, Steve. Uh, you too. We'll be right back. Thank you. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. For nearly 2,000 severely injured veterans, everyday life has become filled with barriers. Day-to-day simple tasks can become pretty daunting. I have to carry my chair up two flights of steps or have somebody do it for me. What scares me the most is just the falling. When I'm struggling with my house, I think, you know, to have that one great barrier just knocked down, I mean, it's, it's crucial. Home for Our Troops is a wonderful nonprofit that builds a mortgage-free, fully adaptive, handicap-accessible house. And there's no catch. It'll be our very first home that we've ever owned. This is a game-changer. This is where your life begins again. We need you to join us in completing this important mission. Please visit hfotusa.org and help build homes and rebuild lives. Because of you, everything's going to be okay. 